North Street. From the square, follow North Street to the corner of Nelson Street to see an impressive Gothic building, St. George's Anglican Church. The church opened on April 24, 1881. The first Anglicans arrived in the Huron Tract decades earlier, with the first wave of settlers. In the early years, Anglicans held services in a schoolhouse and, later, a West Street stable. With heavy wooden ceiling arches and wainscoting along the walls, St. George's was built to have the warm feel of a prosperous English country church. The sloped floor and gas lighting were unique in the area. Its tall windows with pointed arches were filled with McCausland stained glass. The church's most impressive feature was the 145-foot spire finished in slate. It was deliberately designed to rise five feet taller than the spire of St. Peter's Catholic Church, a few hundred meters to the north. On the northwest wall of the church, see the stained glass window dedicated by the railway mail service to Daniel Ty a mail clerk who died in 1911 in Godrich's worst rail disaster. To learn more about this, listen to the South and East Street tour. Perhaps the most famous visitor to St. George's was His Excellency Lord Stanley of Preston, Governor General of Canada. The Queen's representative in Canada for many years, Lord Stanley's name lives on in sports history as the donor of hockey's holy grail, the Stanley Cup. Lord Stanley visited Godrich during a terrible blizzard in January 1893. He attended Sunday morning service at St. George's and later an inspirational evensong service. After the evening service, he asked Reverend Turnbull, St. George's rector, to give his thanks to the choir. His Excellency also remarked that he was surprised and pleased with the fine architectural proportions of the beautiful church. From St. George's, continue north to the Huron County Museum. It's on the east side of the street. The museum is open year-round. Permanent exhibitions depict early Godrich and Huron County life, with agriculture, military, and Main Street galleries including a full-size steam locomotive. The property consists of a two-story brick schoolhouse constructed in 1856 to serve as Godrich's central public school plus a log cabin built in 1875. One of the oldest standing public buildings in Godrich and the province of Ontario, the main building was built using warm, local orange bricks. It displays civic grandeur through its height and outstanding facade. Typical of the Elizabethan style, the symmetrical facade is composed of 8 over 16 windows and a bold gabled frontispiece with a central entranceway. The north and south elevations feature protruding twin gables and tall rectangular brick chimneys. Surrounded by early Godrich homes, the building contributes to the historic streetscape. Famously, the school was attended by Elias Disney, father of Walt Disney. During a trip to explore his Canadian roots in 1947, Walt Disney paid an unexpected visit to the grade one class at the school. The class was well-behaved until Disney began to draw swift circles on the blackboard and Mickey Mouse appeared. The students squealed and surrounded the famous animator. Teacher Helen Vidian left the Mickey Mouse drawing on the blackboard until it completely faded. The school closed in 1950 and the building was purchased by the town of Godrich. In 1951, it opened as the Huron Pioneer Museum. In 1952, 
The cabin was transported log by log from Bluevale and reassembled. The two-story cabin is made from various woods native to Huron County, including hemlock, pine, cedar, and basswood. 12-inch hand-hewn logs are mortised tightly together to form the walls of the cabin. The museum's first curator was Joseph Herbert, Herbie, Neil from the village of Gory. Neil had an excellent private collection of Huron County relics, which served as the first exhibits of the museum. Neil was so passionate about the museum and his collection that he moved to its grounds. The log cabin was used as an exhibit and Neil's home. Neil had started his collection in the 1930s while at a family picnic in Stratford. He was drawn to an abandoned sawmill and, fascinated by its operation, he began scouring the banks of the Maitland River for old watermill parts. By the late 1930s, he had amassed thousands of items, many saved from scrap heaps. His traveling museum of oddities, curios, and machines became a major attraction at local fall fairs, women's institutes meetings, schools, and plowing matches. He towed his traveling museum on a trailer behind his Essex car. Neil understood that the commonplace was interesting, that people could feel connected to the past by the everyday tools and implements of a bygone era. Unlike most museums, the new museum in Godrich featured working models meant to be handled. Children could turn the crank on a grist mill, sawmill, or threshing machine. The museum eventually outgrew the schoolhouse. In the 1980s, an addition was made and built around the steam locomotive engine purchased from the Canadian Pacific Railway. On the 39th anniversary of his death, a monument to Neil was unveiled at the museum. Walk north from the museum and you will soon reach St. Peter's Catholic Church. The first priest to arrive in Godrich after its founding was Father Lawrence Dempsey, who visited in 1831. In 1834, Godrich was placed under the care of Father Joseph Louis Wiriath, who secured a site on North Street and had a frame church built, the first church building erected in Godrich. Visiting priests cared for Godrich until 1843, when the first resident pastor was appointed, Father Peter Schneider. Father Schneider was an interesting character. Born in Alsace, France, he served as a soldier in Napoleon's army and fought at Waterloo. He served as a priest in his native France, New York, Montreal, Kingston, and Toronto before landing in Godrich. Due to his efforts in this area, he became known as the Apostle of Huron County, and was described as a man who strode along in his soutane as if a saber was still clattering by his side. He traveled from township to township, by foot and on horseback, through the bush or on trails blazed through the forests, his rotund figure emphasized by the cassock he always wore. Once the railroad came, he rode the engine to get to some of his missions. Father Schneider started the parish records in 1844. To this day, in his handwriting, you can read the record of baptisms, marriages, and deaths. Over time, the frame church was remodeled and enlarged, and eventually in 1896, it was replaced by the structure that still stands today. The cost to construct the new church was $17,000. It was made of stones quarried from the Maitland Riverbanks under the supervision of the priest at that time, Father, later Monsignor, Thomas West. Continue north to the end of North Street and turn right on Gloucester Terrace to reach the Huron Historic Jail. 
This last story has descriptions of inmate life and public executions. If you're sensitive to descriptions of suffering or violence, feel free to skip the rest of the tour. The jail opened in 1841, made with stone from the Maitland River Valley and from Michigan. The octagonal structure, designed by Thomas Young, followed the panopticon design for prison construction. The design intends to allow all prisoners of an institution to be observed by a single security guard, without inmates being able to tell whether they are being observed. Although a single guard cannot see all the inmates' cells at once, the inmates cannot know whether they are being watched. So, inmates are motivated to regulate their own behavior as though they are being observed constantly. A temporary courtroom and council chambers were set up on the jail's third floor. It was in this makeshift council chamber that the first Huron District Council meeting was held in February 1842. Church services and other public gatherings were held on the third floor before proper buildings were available. The building served duly as jail and courthouse until the county courthouse opened in 1856 in the square. To learn more about the courthouse, listen to the square tour. The governor general of the jail originally lived on the second floor of the jail with his family, but eventually, Huron County Council was convinced to build a proper home. The governor's house was built in 1901. It is part of the present-day jail museum. The jail opened as a penal institution. However, it also served as the last refuge for the poor, elderly, infirm, and mentally ill. People in these conditions outnumbered the prison population in the jail throughout the 19th century. The alternative was abandoning them to a cruel fate in the frontier environment. Many were held in the jail on charges of vagrancy, a humane and legal means of housing someone unable to look after themselves. In the county jail, they could get some care and attention. After the death of 70-year-old George Whitaker in July 1881 from self-inflicted head injuries while confined in the jail as a so-called lunatic, the inquest jury recommended that the jail be equipped with a padded cell. Margaret Linfield died of exposure to a cold cell in October 1885. She had kept throwing off her bedclothes. It was concluded at Linfield's inquest that the jail was not a good place for people like Linfield who were elderly and mentally ill. At another inquest, Dr. Shannon reported that many of those kept in the jail should be instead in houses of industry, asylums for the insane, poorhouses, and hospitals. Groundbreaking investigative journalism by the Huron Signal helped raise awareness throughout the province about the plight of the mentally ill in jails. However, the county jail served as a charity hospital until well into the 20th century. Three inmates were hanged at the jail, with two of the hangings conducted publicly. In December 1861, William Mahone was hung outside the jail walls, as was Nicholas Milady in December 1869. You could probably have seen them from where you're standing. Milady's hanging was the last public execution in Canada. He had been convicted of murdering his father and stepmother. A wooden scaffold was constructed outside the jail walls. His cell was nearby, so he could hear the workers building the structure. The execution was held several hours before the scheduled time out of fear of a mob. Milady was marched out from inside the jail walls, and the noose was put around his neck. 
he was dropped over seven feet, considered more humane since his neck was instantly dislocated, rendering him unconscious until he died. Edward Jardine was executed on June 16, 1911, but it was not a public hanging. The scaffolding was built inside the prison walls. It was less than a minute from the time Jardine left his cell to the moment the scaffold's drop door was released. However, it took him seven and a half minutes to die. Stephen Truscott, age 14, convicted of the murder of Lynn Harper, awaited execution in the jail beginning on September 30, 1959. On January 22, 1960, his sentence was commuted to life imprisonment. On August 28, 2007, Truscott was acquitted of the charges and set free. The building stopped functioning as a jail in 1972, and inmates were transferred to Walkerton and Stratford jails. In 1973, it was designated a National Historic Site of Canada. A year later, the jail and governor's house opened to the public as a museum. Refurbished to its approximate state in Victorian times, the museum is open to the public from May to October. Visitors can explore the building and view the courtroom, holding cells, cell blocks, and working rooms such as the turnkey's office, medical room, kitchen, laundry, and living quarters. Over the years, special events have been held on site, including plays and concerts held in the jail courtyard. Consider heading north on Victoria Street, Highway 21, and taking your first left on North Harbour Road. A 10-minute walk will bring you to the Godridge to Auburn Rail Trail. Then listen to the tour, Menace Bridge, and Tiger Dunlop's Tomb. <laughs>